Welcome back to Hit Subscribe, where we chat with key leaders in the e-commerce space to discuss the present and future state of commerce optimization. I'm your host, Kat, content marketing strategist at Recharge. On today's episode, we chat with Brad Savage, a founder of Garden Cup, to discuss the reality of being a founder and the challenges he's faced in just the last year. I particularly love the vulnerability in this week's episode and think it should really resonate with founders in the startup phase of their business. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Brad Savage, we meet again. <laughs> Here we are. Here we are post ChargeX and all the smarter. <laughs> yeah. How is ChargeX for you? How's everything been since then? ChargeX was a lot of fun. We got to interface with a lot of recharge people for the first time. That was helpful. I did go last year as well, but this year I just had a lot more time under my belt in e-commerce in general. When I went last year, I'd been... Uh, an e-commerce professional for, I think, a whopping six months at the time. So <laughs> finally learning a little bit more about the business. So this year, I think I, I showed up better equipped and I knew what questions to ask and I knew a couple other people in attendance. So super valuable for us. So I think being around other founders at conferences like that in your same industry is the biggest benefit because they kind of deal with the whole universe of problems that you deal with too. Agency partners, you know, have their forte, tech partners have their forte and they're the best at what they do. But the founders, they share this kind of 30,000 foot view of all the different intricacies of business struggle from e-commerce operation all the way down to running payroll and, and fundraising and all that stuff. So anyway, it was fun. We've been really working on our actual physical product quality lately, just the food item and the delivery method. One of the things I've been learning more and more is that nationwide shipping is extremely expensive for perishable items, unless you're at huge scale where you can run a truckload at a time into each market, like some of the really big meal subscription businesses do, like HelloFresh, they inject mm -hmm. like four to eight semis a day into the DFW market, I hear. So I'm showing up in our little Sprinter van twice a week. <laughs> That's good. Feeling all high and mighty and uh, yeah, all the guys, they're <laughs> yeah. like, don't worry, you'll be, you'll be showing up in a 53-footer in no time. <laughs> so like FedEx and UPS shipping perishables is freaking hard. They'll delay you all the time and you know, the boxes go through sort at multiple terminals. They're sitting on a hot truck for a couple of days. And so it, they've been through the ringer a lot of times when they finally show up at your door. But to my great surprise, for some reason, our subscriber growth is strongest in the states that we're not marketing to at all because it's so expensive to ship there and the product arrives typically in not quite as good a condition. It's just shaking around, jostled around a lot more. And, and you know, it's in transit for like 48 hours instead of 12 that's in Texas. But for whatever reason, I think the coast just loves salads. We're getting customers in California, New York, Florida, like crazy, and we're doing zero marketing there. So that's a weird problem I'm trying to get around. So it's it's great that we're growing there, but I think our churn is a little bit higher in those areas because they're putting up with that out-of-state shipping of perishables. So trying to figure out how to really grow a super, super strong, dense customer base right in our own backyard before going elsewhere. So the recharge software has been a, a great help, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, you're not inclined to talk uh, well about recharge. <laughs> recharge product plug right here. <laughs> that's actually really interesting that you say your churn is really high there, but then your subscriber base is higher along the coast? 
Yeah, so acquisitions seem to have much, much better velocity, but then we also see more churn there too, because it's lot further people, out. Yeah, it's further out. And, you know, I would say probably 5% of our shipments are delayed and we cover those 100% with our fresh guarantee. So it is more costly for us to do business outside of Texas, but our customer acquisition cost is obviously a lot lower outside of Texas because really what I've learned is kind of the middle part of the country. And I think the South for sure, we're all about comfort food and barbecue and, you know, red meat and all that stuff. So there's just not as many salad eaters and we have protein in all of our cups or we have options for protein. But I think people on the coast are just, they tend to be very health conscious, proportionately speaking. A lot of salad lovers, certainly on the on the coast and the Northeast seem for whatever reason, even rural areas, like you'd be surprised at how many upstate New York customers we have. And so I think the principle of accessibility is one of them. And then just the lifestyle is kind of the other. So if you live in in Manhattan and you've got six different sweet greens locations or similar options within a stone's throw, you're definitely going to be paying more for them, but the options are so convenient that, you know, you probably don't think about meal prep as much because you're, you know, that's one of the person living in Manhattan. You've got hundred options right out your front door. So a lot of our customers, we've got several different customer demographics, but one of which is older women who tend to be just overcooking. Maybe they have high school kids or they're empty nesters at that point and they just don't have the energy or time or inspiration to cook every day anymore. And so they're like, I want to eat healthy and <laughs> have it done for me. You know, we have some customers now, we've been live on Shopify Recharge for I think nine weeks now. And we've had some customers already make it up into 15 plus orders. So like some customers are have multiple different garden cup packs on subscription showing up two days a week pretty cool. So we're trying to find more of those customers who truly are addicted. <laughs> They'd be coming mm. to the simplicity and the value. And we haven't changed our menu in about a year. We may have added one new garden cup in the last year. And so we have been totally procrastinating menu development and new recipes. So it's really cool to see people get into the habit of having salads kind of showing up at their doorstep on autopilot, even though they're the same dang ones every week. So luckily with Recharge's new dynamic bundle <laughs> widget, <laughs> customers do have the ability to go in and swap out their cups on their own. But what we really want to move towards is a, an auto-rotating option. So maybe you, Kat, you find your three or four garden cups that you just love and you want them in your fridge every week, but you want to leave two spots open for chef's choice. And so we'll rotate based on seasonality or what's what's trending or what we get a good deal on some organic ingredient on or something. And so we'll surprise you with those two options out of your six every week. So we need to figure out a good way to do that. I'm starting to ping some of the recharge folks a little more affirmatively now on things we can do to make recharge more just the out-of-the-box functionality more applicable to meal subscription brands. One of the things I've learned recently is that a lot of meal subscription brands are on recharge, but they're all custom. They're all custom portals, you know, front end bundling. If you, I think now that there is the dynamic bundling widget and some of the new features in the affinity portal makes it easier, but there's a few more things that I want to see in their native. And so I'm going to try and try and be a kind of the, the recharge pioneer user for, for meal subscriptions on as much native recharge functionality as possible. <laughs> so charitable, such a saint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Rework. 
Ultimately, yeah. my motivation is to have y'all build it instead of me build it. So. <laughs> That's hey, honestly, I get it. <laughs> I'm happy to help inform the product if it means a little bit of cost savings for me. Totally a selfish thing. That's fine. But, but you have to be in this economy, you know. <laughs> well, it's not only the economy, but I mean, we're 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 not massive yet. We're mm. still under a thousand subscribers, and this business in particular with fresh food manufacturing and shipping is the biggest thing. Our shipping costs is about 23% of our overall revenue right now. It's insane. Damn. Our margins are bottom basement right now. We're barely breaking even without any growth. Like I said, we've got to get a much, much more scaled revenue before we can start squeezing out a, a net profit. So it's, it's really taught me a lot about just super lean, lean business operations. I actually had a team of, I think eight, eight employees probably half of which were executive level, really highly paid. We went after retail sales hard and heavy for six months or so and had an executive produce buyer and operations person on my team for a while. And everybody was great, but we just got out a, a little bit over our skis and we, we had this huge payroll cost that was just a much longer tailed investment than I anticipated. And so... Garden Cup as of today, other than our kitchen staff, is a team of myself and my wife, Katie. It's definitely forced us to think about every single nook and cranny of the business from the ground up. I kind of liken it to elementary school when you're learning longhand division before you can use the calculator. You've got to understand that core knowledge of the concept before you can automate it or delegate it to another platform or person, you know, like in this case, the calculator. So Anyway, it's taught me every nook and cranny of the business. And so I've got my hand in gorgeous customer support. I'm managing order fulfillment and, and ship station and subscription management, e-commerce management, website development, product ownership, all of these different things. And then on top of that, all the fresh food manufacturing stuff. So I'm still up at the kitchen three or four days a week helping pick, pack and tape boxes up and write little, little, I, we love you messages on the packing slip. <laughs> stuff yeah, like yeah, yeah. But it's everyone tough. starts where you are or yeah. even like before where you are now, everybody started from that idea and that conception into actually trying to figure out what's going to work and what's going to make sense and operationally, what can you do? So it's right. going to be interesting, I think, let's say like a year from now, talking again. I sure hope that there's a huge contrast between this year and next, much bigger than last year and this year. Honestly, it's kind of frustrating to look back on all the time and effort and money that went into the last year's worth of just operation and growth. But our top line has grown very, very little last year, you know, year over year, because we kind of rebuilt the whole business model. Starting out, we did very much a shotgun approach. And this is a huge life lesson and business lesson for all of you aspiring founders out there. I knew this coming into the business. I, I for whatever reason, I just chose to ignore it and think that I could... <laughs> think that I could do, you know, do it anyway. But, you know, I was always counseled to, to go a mile deep and an inch wide starting out and get really, really, really good at one thing before you try and do multiple things. So my initial thought with Garden Cup was to be a direct-to-consumer customizable meal subscription. And so this was back in August of 2021 when I really formally kicked off this new business and decided this is what I'm going to do. And started realizing that there are no out-of-the-box e-commerce platforms that can do customizable recurring meal subscriptions. So what do you do? You, you go out to a couple of agencies and you get quotes for a 
fully custom meal subscription site. Went ahead and engaged one. And after an originally estimated 18 week project, and this is, albeit I made a couple of change orders here and there to, you know, our pack sizes and things like that. But originally scope 18 week project got to week 64 and about 2X the original estimated cost. And I said, to hell with this, this is not working. The agency really struggled to get it across the finish line and it turned into a black hole of, of a money pit. So this was right around the time when Recharge started whispering about some of this new bundling functionality coming out natively. So we had just spent the last almost year and a half trying to build custom what was now going to be more or less standard functionality for Recharge. So right, right. that principle was super frustrating. I think we would have stuck with the project had we had a light at the end of the tunnel in terms of a completion but it was so still so far away and so much cost was left to be incurred that found a new agency who was really, really in tune and in touch with the recharge team and started telling me, hey, you know, I think you're going to be able to get a lot of this functionality out of the box fairly soon here. So I think we need to migrate. We were on another e-commerce platform at the time and struggled with FOMO more than any other time in my life, I think, being on anything other than Shopify. I kind of liken it to the, the Apple App Store being on something other than the Shopify apps ecosystem is like being on the Motorola app store versus the Apple app store. Mm. There are all these plugins and even recharge only had, you know, probably two thirds of its overall functionality and features available on this other e-commerce platform. And, you know, Shopify has all of the features and functionality right. available from it. So we ended up jumping ship, totally replatforming, rebuilt a brand new website in like 60 days. We were early adopter on some of these new recharge features, and it's been working out really, really well so far. There's only one or two little pain points left that I think are meal subscription specific, one of which is delivery dates. You know, recharge natively only displays the next charge date, but we have a fairly complex fulfillment schedule that is very much based on your shipping zone, your time in transit. We've got to have your order in, you know, a certain number of hours before we start prepping so we can order fresh produce bunch of little things that that non-perishable e-commerce brands really don't have to worry about at all. And we're also trying to sell on Amazon and their shipping and fulfillment network or process is extremely rigid. So that's been a beast. But all that to say, I think going back to kind of what I was touching on before, like going a mile deep and an inch wide versus the opposite, we tried doing meal subscriptions that was going to take a little while to develop. So in the meantime, I'm like, okay, why don't we try and sell retail? So I hired a VP of sales, 30-year veteran CPG retail guy who knows all the, the grocery store contacts and club you know, buyers and everything. And he came over as a package deal with one of his buddies. So I had two like senior level sales guys, my third month in business. Absolutely no business doing that, I think, at that point. <laughs> one at the most. And I love these guys. They're great friends now, but it ended up just being the cart way before the horse. So we started selling into all these different retailers, trying to see who would bite on ready to eat prepared salads that were a much more elevated experience than your typical bagged salad or, you know, little Taylor Farms thing for $3.99, but more of a premium ready to eat meal. So we ended up selling in Hudson News for, I don't know, nine or 10 months at the airports. We were probably in 25 different Hudson News stores at 
eight or nine different airports for a while. And they were the absolute perfect airport food. Grab and go, take shake and eat repeat. Yeah, I'd imagine. Yeah, it's super great. However, the the margins were, we were losing about $2 on every single cup. So that was mm-hmm. due to our low volume at the time. So we had really high production cost, the insanely high margins that airport retailers need to have because they're splitting the pie with the airport and sometimes the city and all sorts of different different entities that have their finger in the pie. So I think it was great exposure for us for a while, but ultimately we're not doing any retail sales anymore. We're 100% D2C. We pulled the plug on that about six months ago and kind of refocused on the core business model from the outset, which was doorstep delivery, your own custom pack of healthy produce space and meals to stock your fridge with. So there's several other players out there in the salad cup game now, salad jar, as they would call it, one of which is performing very, very well in the vending machine space and they're, they're selling retail, but they actually are not doing home delivery and they were for a while. And I suspect that they stopped doing home delivery because the margins were worse <laughs> <laughs> and they've, they've developed a really nice network of vending machines. So I think they're, they're sticking to their core business and we're kind of recalibrating and trying to stick to our core business now. And they actually refer customers over to us, which I think is really cool. Oh, um, nice. They did do uh, some home delivery during COVID because their vending business kind of shut down more or less for a time. When they stopped doing home delivery, they, a bunch of their customers, they got addicted to this concept of salads showing up at my door every week. So they referred a bunch of their customers over to us. So very nice. I thought that was cool. So if, if y'all are out there, you know who you are. Thank you for, uh, <laughs> for sending some of those customers our way. But long story short, I think it makes a lot of sense to, especially early on, I'd say for any brand that's sub 10 million, you've got to do one thing extremely well before you even think about mm-hmm. doing a different channel. Do you attend a lot of events for like other founders or anything like that at all? How do you connect with other founders in similar spaces as you? LinkedIn, honestly, is... It's really the biggest tool for kind of discovery. Every one, maybe like once a week, I'll get lost on a two-hour LinkedIn rabbit trail and just start kind of looking at all the related connections of of different founders of different brands. And I've found the CPG community. I'm in a couple of Slack channels now for mostly growth people, but there's a lot of CEOs and founders in there. So those have been super helpful. I think I made the best connections there. Anytime I even you know have a question about fundraising or who did you use to help you with your deck. I've got a, an open job for an e-commerce manager and you know, you're going directly to all the other people in the ecosystem and the community who has already been there and done that. So, Right. It's important is. though. Like I think it's, so I attended the event that I told you about in New York City was an AAPI event. I feel like I'm going to reference this event so many times because I just got so much wisdom out of that event, but it was a bunch of like Asian founders, but they were founders of businesses and- yeah. They shared a lot about the challenges and also the ways that they worked around and navigated some of the things that you were mentioning, which mm-hmm. is why I asked, like, do you go to events like that? Because the one that I went to was touched so much of the stuff that you're talking about. One of the things that they mentioned, I feel like you're already doing, but they said their biggest tip for other founders was to connect with other founders and like start a group chat or something. Yeah. And just like learn from each other. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's like a Um, group for battered founders. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for the battered founders. Battered founders group. (laughs) It sounded really like productive. And even like one of the speakers was talking about exactly what you mentioned about how you're not marketing to the people along the coast, but they're really adopting your product. 
yeah. because lifestyle wise, it matches that demographic that lives there, which is super interesting. It was Health Aid Kombucha, that oh, brand. Yeah. Cool. They started off in like farmers markets and then they were talking about how they chased their target demographic, which was the natural consumer. And yeah. it led them to like Whole Foods and along the coast. And that's mm. where they really saw the most adoption of their products. And they like invested into that. Yeah. So you're mentioning that. And I'm like, yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense that you're seeing a lot of people come from there. I think our next step is to try and set up a kitchen or a partner kitchen, at least one on each of the coasts so we can reach more of those coastal markets with a much higher delivery quality mm-hmm. or delivery time. So yeah, that's um, that's kind of on the on the radar right now. That and about 1,500 other things of equal importance. <laughs> no big deal. This is the life of a founder. Not that I can really relate, but from what I've heard, that is the life of a founder. It's just a constant game of whack-a-mole. Yeah, yeah. Just trying to figure out what is the next most urgent fire I need to put out. And then if you're lucky, by the end of the day, you can have some time to focus on new growth initiatives. <laughs> so how are you discerning? Because it sounds like you're doing a lot of your research on your own, like through Slack channels and LinkedIn, et cetera. How are you discerning your strategy for like your business? Like, Do you have any mentors or anything that you're talking to? Or is it really just like testing and, and yeah. seeing what happens? No, that's a great question. I, I would actually attribute a lot of my more recently uh, strategic thinking to some of my neighbors of all people who also happen to be founders. They're not e-commerce or CPG, but they are they are consumer brands or more so consumer software, B2C SaaS platforms. But they're all they've been through multiple series A through C funding rounds multiple times and they know how to manage boards, they know how to manage 50 plus person teams and they kind of get the grind. And so they challenge my thinking a lot. And that's good. More than anything, bring you back down to profitability. Yes. Which, which sounds greedy, but at the end of the day, if the business doesn't make money, it goes away. And so I, yeah, I've focused way too much. And I tend to just throw, throw out discounts all the time because I just, just a natural ambassador for my brand and product. I'm like, I'd love for you to try it. But at the end of the day, if I don't really, think about profitability, the business will go away. And that's the worst thing that could happen. So thinking strategically around every single component of your P&L. And you know, the other thing I've learned is like the money, the money always tells you what's what's going on. Where where are the, the critical leads in your business that need attention? Always just look at your P&L first. So I'm really trying to get a lot more disciplined with financial management and getting into our QuickBooks account daily and understanding what's going on in there and and doing KPI tracking every week now. So that's one of the big disciplines and principles I've picked up on from other founders lately. Is and really I'm just kind of convicted by my lack of responsibility up until recently. Kind of just like self awareness. Yeah, yeah. yeah, totally. And I think I've known that for a while. I've just been procrastinating, and so. <laughs> I don't enjoy getting in there and doing doing any, you know, accounting and KPI tracking and stuff, but it has to be done. Otherwise, you know, you can veer off course real easily. So yeah, it's been super helpful, even even with founder friends who are in totally different industries or business types. It's great to have everybody's perspective on what's worked for them, what hasn't. And end of the day, a business is a business that's about generating value. So regardless of your industry or vertical, shares that common thread. And honestly, I love that we're having this conversation right now because more than likely, a lot of the people who are going to be listening to this podcast 
are not founders of hugely currently successful companies that are killing it. Mm-hmm. They're not listening to this podcast. So the people yeah. who are listening to this podcast, especially this episode, are probably going to be people who are going through the exact same things that you are totally. and wondering, like, what the hell is Brad doing about <laughs> those damn shipping costs? You know what I mean? I have a nickel for every time I redesigned our shipping parcel so that it, you know, fit with the FedEx one rate threshold and all that. I've got 15 different Excel tabs with different box designs on there. And it's, the stuff that keeps me up at night is, is silly if you really step back and look at it. But I quit my corporate job two years ago now. And so I've. And I was in commercial real estate appraisal. So I knew exactly zero about e-commerce, digital marketing, or fresh food manufacturing. I'm finally to a point now where I kind of understand a little bit about each pillar of the business. And so our fate is yet to be determined. But at least at this point, I feel like I have a handle generally on at least what to do next and how to, how mm. to get the kind of early stage pit of growth and, and trade-offs, inherent trade-offs everywhere. So... Limited budget. Yeah. I, all you prospective founders listening, I feel you. <laughs> yeah. oh, yes. It's a grind. It's a grind. But someone told me a really nice quote the other day that, that stuck with me. And it was Steve Jobs, apparently, who said it. 50% of success in entrepreneurship is not quitting. Mm. If you can just not quit, you've got half of your chances are already sealed. (laughs) Dude, but that's so true. And also not even just with entrepreneurship, but basically anything you do, a lot of success is really just a couple of or more failed attempts that you learned through and were able to come back from. Totally. Yeah. It's just like with a recession, you know, a a recession or hard economic times always weeds out the bottom 50% or so. And so if you can make it through that, you emerge on the other side better stronger and with less competition than before. Yeah. And last year you were mentioning it was really tough, but I think it was tough in general last year into this year mm-hmm. with shipping costs and fulfillment costs and cost of acquisition, everything. Yeah. So I don't think that's just unique to you, not to downplay your challenges because obviously those are your challenges as a founder. But I also think that a lot of businesses have had to kind of pivot their strategies a ton in the last year. It has been uniquely challenging. So I've learned, I've never had another kind of economic environment to grow up in this industry. And, but all the iOS changes with, you know, privacy tracking apparently doubled customer acquisition costs, more or less food inflation, transportation, inflation, cost of fuel, you know, all these things kind of converging in our startup year offered a uniquely challenging environment to get started in. But. I think it forged a better garden cup today than emerged otherwise. So I'm grateful for the challenges and I'm grateful to still be, uh, at least today, still breathing after all that. So yeah, we kind of figured out like, what's the best price point? How do you raise prices without scaring off too many customers at a time? And yeah, how do you manage cost of goods versus your price points? And so, and then labor too, labor was a huge challenge for a while. It still is to a degree, but I mean, there was a time when food manufacturing workers wouldn't be happy with 12 bucks an hour. And now you can't find anyone for under about 18, 19 bucks an hour a year later. So uh, it's- Everything's going up. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's understandable. I mean, yeah, a gallon of milk costs 50% or to a hundred percent more than it did a year and a half ago. And along with every other grocery item. So that's all the more reason to 
order up some garden cups because we're able to source in bulk and all that. (laughs) Shameless plug. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Always always be plugging. (laughs) Yeah. No, honestly, I mean, you got to be. But I think you had mentioned actually recently, like in the last minute or so, about customer acquisition costs with the iOS changes and everything. Obviously, with that, we talked about it at ChargeX and we talk about it all the time, how like important working on your retention strategy is to kind of offset the costs of acquisition. So I'm kind of curious from all of the challenges and all of the things that you've learned in the last year, where do you think you guys are doing really well with retention and maximizing the LTV of your customers? Great question. I think we're first and foremost, best possible thing you can do for retention, in my opinion at this point is to just have a freaking great product. Mm. Have a great product, make sure it stays great, make sure your customer service is super friendly and helpful and available as much as possible, and keep your product awesome. Something about to roll out a win-back flow and some win-back surveys and stuff for churned customers. We're sitting in like a 30% churn rate right now, which candidly, yeah, is pretty, pretty high. I think industry average for meal subscription is closer to 20%. And so I think we're shooting ourselves in the foot. We were, I made a ton of changes, even, even in the process of making changes today on our insulation liners, our ice packs, the food product leaves the kitchen in perfect shape. It's just sometimes it shows up on the doorstep to those super far away stakes in not as great condition. So taking all these different steps to kind of fortify our shipping box and insulate better and longer and, and pad those cups better so they're not ripping the ice packs and exploding and all that. So honestly, I think a good chunk, if not half of our churn over the last, really since relaunching two months ago has been due to inconsistency with delivery quality. Right. I think another big portion of it is not having new, fresh rotating menu options. So investing in recipe development and both of those kind of top two items, which I suspect are top two biggest churn reasons are totally preventable and boil back down to just the quality of the product, product or service. So I think now at the same token, we have a subset of customers who ordered 10 times in, in as many weeks and they live in Maine or you know Washington state or California, <laughs> super far yeah. away. You know, anyway, everybody's, you're either on a one day time and transit zone in Texas, or you're pretty much two day for the rest of the country. So really doesn't matter how far away it is. It's just time and transit. So some of these people put up with less than perfect deliveries. Sometimes it's about 10% of the time you end up with a box that's not quite as good, but I'm hoping to take that down to about 2% of the time mm-hmm. with some of the changes we're making. But it's really encouraging to see them stay on through because they they see the benefit and the value in the product and the convenience that it offers. So they're, everything comes with some sort of trade-off and the trade-off here is ultra convenient. You don't have to lift a finger to have the fridge full of ready to eat salads, but sometimes you know, we had one, for example, the Mandarin Crush. It's an Asian chopped salad and it, and it comes with Mandarin oranges in it. And sometimes if a box gets left upside down for 12 hours, those Mandarin oranges are a little watery and they leak down into the greens. And so sometimes when that cup would show up, it'd be all wilted out and compressed because it's all watery. So I actually just pulled the Mandarin oranges in that one this week. But it's little things like that and just listening to the customer. Oh, interesting. Logging yeah. all those claims photos that you get of destroyed boxes or whatever and and then pivoting based on that. So yeah, I think the third biggest thing, which really pertains more to recharge, is just the ease of use with your customer portal. So once you get people kind of through the gate and they've converted, 
at least on a subscription business model, it's critical to make sure that they have a complete understanding of how to manage their subscription. So I'd probably give us like a three and a half stars out of five right now in terms of ease of use, particularly for our, our older demographic who isn't quite as tech savvy, may of whom self-proclaimed not as tech savvy. We've got a lot of work to do on simplifying our just subscription management experience or auto ship management experience. That was a term I took away from ChargeX. Don't call it a subscription, just call it auto ship. <laughs> so we're, we're changing uh, some of our nomenclature there, which really makes more sense for us because it is, you're just setting up an auto ship pack, you know, every week or two. It's not like a Netflix subscription or something. You're yeah, just yeah, authorizing recurring shipments until you skip or cancel. So to answer your question, like how are we maximizing LTV? The first of which is just making sure the product is awesome and evergreen in our case, making sure that the user experience is top notch. And I think the third thing is education. We have zero content, zero blog. We're really lacking there. Writing blogs at this point has taken a back seat. So that's the next thing I'd really like to do is, is roll out just educational content on the importance of eating enough fruits and veggies every day. You know, I mean, there's tons of low-hanging research out there, low-hanging fruit, pun intended, just to help people understand like you're probably not eating enough fruits and vegetables. One in 10 Americans reports eating, I think it's three, three servings of fruit, five servings of veggies every day. And my thesis is that the reason is lack of convenience. We eat all the Accessibility, yeah. Yeah, accessibility is huge. And so we eat all these shelf-stable, you know, snack foods and TV dinners full of preservatives and hardly any fresh veggies and fruits in there. So we're trying to make a fresh salad even more convenient than a hot pocket, but 10 times the nutritional value. So people need to understand the importance of that. And so I think we really need to beef up our, our email marketing game. We need to get post-purchase flows turned on that kind of explain all the benefits of, of healthy eating and, and maintaining a fresh diet. And going back to the world of post iOS and super high acquisition costs, I think the people who just have the best product and the best content organically are going to win. It's more of a long game. And I understand it's a lot more of an investment, but if you can kind of get that ball started, started rolling and we haven't even done it yet. So I need to take my own medicine here. We need to start putting out high quality content because that's ultimately going to be, and some of my other founder friends have told me like their SEO investment has been the best so far. I think everybody needs kind of standard blocking and tackling of Google ads and, and Facebook, Instagram paid ads, but it's not going to be your uniquely profitable acquisition funnel. So I'm hoping influencers might end up being that for us in addition to to content, just great product. The cup itself is fairly, you know, I understand Instagramable. So yeah, you could really play off of that. I spoke with Primal Kitchen recently. I don't, are okay. you familiar with Primal yeah. Kitchen? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd okay. love to use some of their dressings on our garden cuts. Maybe we need it. Yeah. <laughs> they spoke also. Actually, I asked them about the tips that they would provide on optimizing the shopper journey, et cetera, increasing AOV, LTV. And one of the things that they did mention also was educational content mm -hmm. and just like SEO and providing value to your customers beyond providing value through like discounts and things like that but like really giving them access to your product, but also information and knowledge. So I feel like that's a great next step when you have capacity to add that to your list of 15,000 things to yeah. do. <laughs> but 
I'm pretty happy with everything that we've talked about so far. I also generally like to ask more of a personal question at the end of each episode. But I feel also like this whole episode was really personal for you. <laughs> yeah. So every everything is an existential crisis for me. <laughs> <laughs> what would your answer be if I were to ask, like, what is something that you've been doing recently to improve your life? And if nothing has really like popped up where you're like, oh, I'm already doing this. What's the first thing you thought of where you're like, I should be doing this? Yeah, that's a great question. Honestly, uh, it's been a huge blessing to be able to work from home. And I think COVID would have not made a difference here because I'm just a solo founder right now, solo business employee for the most part. So working from home has, has been really awesome. It's a little challenging at times, but what it's afforded me is the opportunity to, if nothing else, not suffer from the regret of my three-year-old, now four, growing up without lots of daddy-daughter time. Oh. Being able to, <laughs> don't get all mushy on me. But yeah. Good after. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's been something that is a, a huge recharge, quote unquote, yeah. for me every day is, is spending time with my little Roxy, even if it's 10 minutes here and there between calls or running orders and stuff. She even comes up to the kitchen with us on occasion and cheers us on as we're scrambling to pick pack all of our orders before FedEx shows up. But she's definitely um, a lot of the fuel that keeps me going and, and being able to work from home and see her so frequently. I, I don't think that'll, you know, like work from home isn't like the the one thing. If I was at a different life stage, maybe with, a, you know, when she's in high school, for example, she's going to have her own life at that point. And so I, I would probably prefer to be back in an office and mingling with other professionals most of the day, like I used to kind of before kids. But right now it's been a really sweet season to just keep me feeling charged up and purposeful and not missing out on my, my little girl's sweetest years. So I'll give her the spotlight for this one. <laughs> Good, I think, for her to be able to be immersed in what your life is all about right now, which is not yeah. that your life is all work, but this is like a passion project also. Like you're passionate about what you're doing and she's able to see mom and dad kind of doing that in the day to day and be a part of it. And I think it, she's going to learn a lot from it. So. Good job. Very true. Thanks for recognizing that, Kat. I agree. It's It's been very hard, but ultimately Garden Cup has brought us together as a family, I think way more than if I was just working my own corporate job away from home all the time. It would be like Katie and Roxy is the at-home team and I'm the away team. You know, it's an honorable thing. We, we got to do what we got to do to provide, but yeah. I am grateful yeah. for that, that dynamic that I've, I've gotten to enjoy over the last two years. Good, good. I'm glad to hear. Okay. I feel like I got to end this call at some point, but I could probably listen to you talk about Roxy for another hour. <laughs> I'll, I'll introduce her to, to you next time we're on the phone. <laughs> yeah, I would love that. And she can meet my two kids too. I have a five-year-old. Um, oh, cool. But right anyway, thank you so much. Oh, it's fun, Katrina. Joining. Thank you. I enjoyed yeah. that. I, I think know. it'll be really good for other yeah. founders and people to hear cool. and learn. So thank you. We want to thank Brad once more for joining us. You can find Garden Cup at gardencup.com. If you liked what you heard, make sure to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening from and check us out at rechargepayments.com slash hit subscribe for our latest episodes. Mm-hmm.